This episode of Stick Like Glue Radio is brought to you by Jim Palmer's Dream Business Mastermind and Coaching Program. Now is the time to create your dream business, and Jim Palmer is the perfect business coach to help you get that done. Jim offers three different coaching programs, and as a member of his mastermind group, you'll also benefit from the advice, wisdom, and inspiration of other successful entrepreneurs. This is a group of action takers, so if you're tired of slow to no growth and are ready to finally grow your dream business, go to www.dreambizcoaching.com. That's www.dreambizcoaching.com. Hi, I'm Bob Berg, co-author of The Go-Giver and author of Adversaries and Two Allies, and you're listening to Stick Like Glue Radio. Welcome to Jim Palmer's Stick Like Glue Radio, the only podcast dedicated to helping you create an everlasting bond with your customers so they stay longer, spend more, and refer more. Jim Palmer is a marketing and business building expert, author, speaker, and an in-demand coach. He's the founder of the Dream Business Academy and Dream Business Coaching and Mastermind Program. Jim is the host of Newsletter Guru TV, the hit weekly web TV show based on Jim's smart marketing and business building advice. Check it out at www.newsletterguru.tv. And now, please welcome the host of Stick Like Glue Radio, Jim Palmer. Well, hello there, everybody. Welcome to another great episode of Stick Like Glue Radio. This is the only podcast dedicated to helping you create an everlasting bond with your customers so they stay longer, spend more, and refer more. Those are great things in anybody's business. I am your host, Jim Palmer, your dream business coach. I'm committed to helping you build a more profitable business faster. I'm super excited about this week's show. My special guest is entrepreneur and author John Warillo. John is the creator of the Value Builder System, a statistically proven methodology for improving a company's value by up to 71%. He's the author of The Automatic Customer, Creating a Subscription Business in Any Industry, and another great book I'm hoping I can squeeze into this conversation called Built to Sell, Creating a Business That Can Thrive Without You. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure, Jim. So I love the name, the automatic customer. I mean, who doesn't want that, right? Create a subscription business in any industry. Um, when, when actually did you write this book, and, and uh, what, what led you to do so? You know, my day job is running a company called The Value Builder System, where we help business owners improve the value of their company. And, and it's funny, we have all of our entrepreneurs start by taking in an assessment. And that gives them a sense of how they're performing on these eight drivers and they get a value. And one of the things that we saw dragging down the value of those companies is a lack of recurring revenue. Uh, They were in the kind of PO chasing, sell-do business model. And so we wanted to kind of provide a resource for our users where, you know, uh, it gives them some – a bit of a blueprint for how to create these uh, kind of recurring revenue relationships or what we call automatic customers. That's awesome. And so you're saying you can do this for in any industry. You can, you can help people create uh, recurring revenue. That's right. I mean, we've, we've identified that there are nine different subscription models. And again, most people, when they think subscription, recurring revenue, they think, oh, that's for software companies or media companies. But We've uh, developed uh, these nine different subscription models. So you can apply one of these nine no matter what industry you're in. If you're, you know, distribution, manufacturing, retail, you know, professional services, you can create uh, some recurring revenues using one of these nine. 
It's awesome. Hey, John, what's your entrepreneurial background? Have you uh, been an entrepreneur most of your life? Did you kind of leave corporate world at some point? or? Someone made the mistake of hiring me about 20 years ago and uh, in a big company, and that lasted about a year. But that was the only uh, year that I was ever gainfully employed. <laughs> I uh, I left that uh, company and started my first business, and, and I guess that was five businesses ago. Uh, I've been involved in uh, uh, five different startups now, the Value Builder System being the fifth. Um, so uh, with each one, you know, skinned my knees, made a lot of mistakes, and, and uh, trying to learn from them each time. Well, good. Um, so I was doing some research on you uh, actually last night to prepare for the interview, and I, I was reading something about um, you saying there's five trends that are driving the whole subscription-based economy. Can you talk about those? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, increasingly we're seeing everything on subscription. And now that I say that, you're going to see so many subscriptions that it's not even funny. So you may have seen, for example, AMC Theater announced recently that they are offering a subscription for their movie theaters, right? They're having trouble getting young people to go to the movie theaters, so you can now go to, once you buy a subscription to AMC movie theaters, as many times to as many shows as you want in a month. Starbucks last month introduced a subscription-based program for their coffee lovers. Uh, more and more of us are using Netflix as opposed to buying kind of the traditional cable package. So, you know, we're just seeing this really, you know, incredible rise in and subscriptions, and one of the fact you mentioned the five in the book. One of them is is this idea that young people, in particular, now want you know access to things as opposed to assets. Um, so you know we're, we're we're using Airbnb to get a vacation home as opposed to spending the money to buy a vacation home. Uh, a lot of us are subscribing to sites like Spotify or. Audio, as opposed to downloading the music one by one off of iTunes, and so you know the younger generation. I mean, home ownership rates are at their lowest they've ever been among the younger you know younger people under the age of 35 because they see buying and owning a home as a bit of an albatross, whereas they they value mobility. And so it's one of these five trends that's driving you know more and more companies to the subscription business model. You may have seen Microsoft recently uh, with their push into the subscription business. You, you, you don't buy Microsoft products anymore on a CD. You're, you're subscribing. Same thing with Adobe. Last year they made a big you know, uh, announcement that they were no longer going to do a, you know, perpetual licenses for their software. It's all going to be subscription. So Birchbox, you know, Dollar Shave Club, all these companies that have moved from kind of the transaction economy to the subscription economy. So you mentioned uh, Dollar Shave Club. That's always one that's fascinated me. How, do, how, does, comp how does a company like Dollar Shave Club and, and Birchbox, how do they make money? Well, it's different uh, by, by, by those models. So, in fact, you know, of the nine models, Birchbox and Dollar Shave use two different models. So Dollar Shave Club is using the consumables model. And so the consumables model says that we buy things as consumers and other businesses uh, that the act of replenishing them, they, first of all, they run out, and replenishing them offers no inherent value. I mean, nobody wants to go to Walgreens to buy razor blades. It's just a task that sits on your to-do list, and it sits there until you, you cut yourself for the fifth morning in a row, and you're like, okay, I've got to go buy you know, razor blades. And so Dollar Shave Club says, look, you know, nobody has to you know, worry about going to Walgreens anymore. Subscribe, and we'll send them to you on an automatic basis. So a consumable business model is where 
you're really taking a to-do off of your customer's to-do list um, because the act of replenishing something that runs out and offers no inherent value. HP, for example, has a business-to-business -business version of that where they have a, 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 a printer now where the toner cartridge runs out and it sends a little notification through Wi-Fi to HP which dispatches a new toner cartridge refill to that subscriber to their inkjet program so you never run out of toner cartridges. So the, the model can apply to both business-to-business -business businesses and, and those that serve to other consumers. But the idea is you, you identify something in your business where it runs out and customers have to replenish that. You mentioned Birchbox. Yes. For those who don't, yeah, yep. for those who don't know Birchbox, they are um, a company that caters mostly to women, but they have a, a, a men's box as well where for women, they will send you a box full of cosmetic samples, and uh, every month you get a new box. And, and, and that's the, one of the other subscription models is called the surprise box, where uh, they're taking a, uh, a category which people feel passionately about. So in, in the case of Birch Box, it's women's cosmetics. In the case of Sport Pack, it's like uh, sports nuts. In the case of Bark Box, it's dog lovers. And anyways, you, um, in the case of Birchbox, women get this sample, this, this, this goodie uh, package full of samples of uh, different cosmetics. What The way Birchbox makes money is, one, they get the samples for free and they get their subscribers to pay 10 bucks a month. You may say 10 bucks a month, that's not very much. What their business model is is getting you to buy the full-size versions of the samples on the Birchbox.com website. So half of the subscribers of Birchbox have gone ahead and bought something full-size on the Birchbox website. So that's how they make money. I think that's brilliant. And, you know, it's always the most expensive thing for any business is the cost of customer acquisition. So, you know, if, if, if companies have this model where, where there's going to be a lot of repeat business, recurring revenue, you can, I mean, you can go into the hole acquiring your first sale. It, re it reminds me, John, of this company I studied a couple of years ago. They um, they bought a bunch of guitar picks, like I'm, I'm just going to a whole container load of guitar picks, real quality ones, and um, and, and I, I don't know what the average guitar pick sells for. Let's say it sells for a dollar, and they were selling like you know get a dozen or twenty guitar picks for like three bucks, something ridiculous, right? And um, a ton of people ordered these guitar picks. Well, what they were actually doing, they were a custom guitar company, and so they built this huge list just by people because who's going to order guitar picks other than guitar players? And so they then were able to start marketing to them that way. I mean, would you say that's a kind of close to what you're describing? It's a great, it's a great uh, subscription model, and it brings up one of the one of the unique characteristics of, of really successful subscription companies is oftentimes. Uh, the subscription itself is a bit of a Trojan horse for a larger sale that the company wants to make. And so, uh, you know, it's one of the other reasons that, that people listening might want to think about a subscription model. Not only do some companies go all in on subscriptions and make all their money off the subscriptions, but, but increasingly there are companies that have subscriptions because that, that recurring relationship with the company or the customer um, creates loyalty, creates familiarity, and that w is the platform on which they buy and sell other products to that, to that customer group. So, for example, um, Amazon Prime would be the most spectacular success story on any measure. They have 40 million subscribers worldwide now, so it's a four, you know, 100 bucks a year, it's a $4 billion business for Amazon. But what it, what it masks or disguises is the fact that, that the Amazon Prime 
subscription causes people to buy more from Amazon. So the average Amazon customer, non-prime, uh, spends about $500 a year with Amazon, yet the, am the average Amazon Prime subscriber spends 1500 three times that of the non-prime subscriber. So the act of subscribing itself causes a behavior in the customer that makes them buy more. And we see that in category after category. Birchbox subscribers much more likely to buy from the Birchbox.com website than you know, non-subscribers. It, it, it goes right through. So it can be another reason to, to launch a subscription offering. Oh, I think the Amazon Prime thing is ridiculously cool. I mean, I've been a member since it started. You know, yesterday, um, well, over the last two days, I, I, I'm on the phone constantly with my coaching and things like that. So my regular headset died. So then I switched to my my head, my uh, little ear thing for my cell phone. That died. I'm actually doing this interview holding a phone to my ear, which I hate doing. But um, instead of going down to Staples or Best Buy or wherever, I, I jumped on Amazon Prime. I looked at like two or three things, checked out the reviews. Boom. It's probably on my front porch as I'm talking to you right now, John. I mean, that's the thing about Amazon Prime is I know I can just go on there. It's going to be here tomorrow. I mean, all you can see the reviews. You, you, you know the prices are going to be pretty darn good, if, if not the best and boom, you're hooked. I mean, it's a phenomenal model. It sure is. It sure is. And again, what it disguises is the fact that, that because you're a subscriber, you want to buy more. Um, and Amazon, I mean, you bring up Amazon, Jim. I mean, Amazon is, is all in on the subscription business model. So Prime is probably the, the most uh, emblematic, you know, high-profile but they've got lots of other subscriptions. So they've got Amazon Mom for new moms where they acquired diapers.com, which were diapers on subscription. Uh, they have Amazon Subscribe and Save where you can take any three consumable items, pick the same delivery date, and they'll knock another 15% off for subscribers. Uh, they've got Amazon Fresh. When you know, backstory on Amazon Fresh is interesting. Amazon Fresh, you may not know, uh, those are the that's the, the the grocery delivery service, kind of like the old Web Van or Peapody, Peapod, I should say. Mm. Um, they launched that in Seattle as a bit of a, a beta, and it was one of Bezos's most frustrating business units because it continued to fail for years. I mean, it sat in beta for I think five or six years couldn't break even, couldn't break even, and they just couldn't figure out how to deliver groceries. And, and then somebody had the bright idea to make people first subscribe to Amazon Fresh and then deliver groceries based on the same model they were using before. And so they launched that second model, the subscribe first model, in Los Angeles. And it was a screaming success because by subscribing to Amazon Fresh, you pay your $300 a year. Guess what? People want to get their money's worth. They've subscribed to something that all of a sudden changes their behavior. Now they're all of a sudden buying a wider variety of products from Amazon Fresh, and they, Amazon Fresh can afford to deliver them, and the model works. But the only difference between L.A. and Seattle was you get them to subscribe first. That is definitely the key. You know, um, I know some, or I know uh, somebody. Her name's Diana Cotu. She has a um, Diana's Gourmet Pizza Shop up in Canada, and literally within, you know, pretty much like any town, within about a, a half a mile of her Gourmet Pizza Shop is, you know, uh, every other chain, you know, from Domino's to Papa John's to, to every other Joe's Pizza, which is selling, you know, five pizzas for ten bucks, just about. And her average sale is like thirty-two dollars. 
One of the things she did, which was so brilliant, is she created the uh, monthly pizza club. So people, if they spent, if they uh, were charged thirty dollars a month, they actually got like forty dollars in Diana pizza bucks. But cause, but but they actually in almost every transaction spent more than that. But it's like when you've already got when you've already been charged on the first of the month, where else are you going to order your pizza? So I mean, that's pretty much the same thing you just described. It automatically ties them ties them in when they're going to be ready to make a purchase. You bet, you bet. You know, there's another company um, up in Seattle um, called Capelli's. I think it's called Capelli's, and they offer a subscription-based haircut. And they uh, they say basically to guys, look, um, we're going to charge you 600 bucks once a year, and then you can come in as many times as you want. We'll trim your neckline between haircuts because that gets you know scruffy before you actually need a full haircut. And we'll just do it on subscription, so you can come in and 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 relax, and that, you know, and and know that you've got that taken care of, uh, that piece of your life kind of taken care of. And you might be saying, well, why on earth would they do that? I mean, the, why wouldn't you just charge customers 50 bucks every time or 30 bucks every time they come in for a haircut, whatever? And the reason Capelli does it is is twofold. One, they get the 600 bucks of cash up front, so they get their entire year's worth of customer kind of revenue up front. So they've got a positive cash flow cycle. But the second reason is that it locks in loyalty. And just like your pizza example, um, customers are no longer going to be promiscuous when it comes to where they get their haircut. They're not going to be tempted to get their haircut when they're on the road, when they're traveling, when they see some offer for some other hair salon. They've already baked in that loyalty. And so Capelli's has done a great job of, of selling even haircuts on subscription. That is awesome. I love that. Lock in loyalty. Man, that 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 should be the title of another book you do. Lock in loyalty. Um, you know, in in your book, The Automatic Customer, Creating a Subscription Business in Any Industry, I believe I read where you helped a company turn a $29 average sale into like $7,500. Did, did I, did I uh, get that correct? Well, that's, I think you're referring to H. Bloom. And, and it's an amazing story. And again, H. Bloom, I think, is one of the stories where if you're skeptical right now listening to this and you're saying, I don't really buy it, I can see, I, I get the examples of Netflix, I get the examples of Microsoft, um, but it would never work in my industry. Um, if that's kind of where you're at as you listen to this, let me tell you the story of H. Bloom because H. Bloom is in the business of selling flowers. And if there couldn't be, you know, there just couldn't be a more traditional um, Main Street old school business than selling flowers. And, and it's a tough business. 30% of the typical flower store's revenue gets done around two holidays, Mother's Day and Valentine's Day. So they're left the other 363 days of the year trying to generate demand. How do they do that? Well, they typically have to buy very expensive retail space. Uh, in a city like New York or, or Los Angeles, you might be spending you know, $150 a square foot just for the rights to intercept some customer on their way home from work. Um, the worst part about selling flowers is uh, it's a one-off purchase, and the inventory that you, you sell is sitting rotting in your fridge. And within a month, it's dead. The average flower store in America will throw out more than 50% of its inventory every year, five, zero, half of it, because it's dead in the fridge. They've just got to rid of it. And so this guy saw a new panda came around this and said, you know, there's got to be a better way to sell flowers. And what he did is he decided to sell flowers on subscription. So he went to the restaurants, the spas, and the hotels that buy flowers regularly. 
at a regular cadence. Not the guy who's forgotten his wedding anniversary, but they, he, the, you know, Panda goes to the subscription-based, the, the buyers who buy regularly, and he, and he says, look, you've got other things to worry about. You don't have to worry about it. You shouldn't have to worry about whether your flowers are dying on your reception table. Let me come every two weeks, and I'll get rid of the old ones, and I'll bring the new ones to your reception table. I'll send you a business-grade invoice every month. And, and by targeting those recurring purchases, Jim, what Panda has done is increased his lifetime value of a customer from what the transaction business, the typical flower store sale is $29 in America. That's the average uh, flower store sale. To right now, the average lifetime value of an H. Bloom subscriber is more than $4,000. Panda wow. makes one sale. And the lifetime value of that customer amounts to more than $4,000 worth of revenue over the lifetime of their, their relationship. So, you know, even flower store companies can create some recurring revenue. That is great. I mean, you know, I hear that all the time. It's not going to work for my business. Well, guess what? Start thinking outside the box. Um, I know you covered a, um, a few of them already, but, in, you know, in the automatic customer, you talk about nine different subscription models. Can you go just go over a couple more or a few more of those as we have time? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, and, and by the way, Jim, what I did uh, prior to this, uh, this interview is I created, we created a landing page um, just for your listeners. It's automaticcustomer.com slash glue. G-L-U-E, and if you go there, enter your name, um, you can download a workbook, an ebook of the nine subscription models. And so in the ebook, you're going to see you know, a description of each model, who it pertains to, which industry it pertains to, where it works best, where it should be avoided. Um, so again, it's, it's a sort of a freebie gift for your listeners. So just automaticcustomer.com slash glue. That's awesome. Thank you, John. Yeah, no, my pleasure. So, you know, a couple of, uh, of other models. I mean, the membership website model is probably uh, a good one to have a, a discussion on. I know you're, you, you've got a membership website. When you've got an expertise, something that you know more than 99.9% .9 of the population about, that is a classic uh, situation where you could create a membership website where you take, and, and that's one of the nine models, where you take your expertise and you put it behind a paywall, and you provide advice, counsel, worksheets, templates, uh, uh, advisory services, uh, but to just those who subscribe. One of my favorite examples of this is the Wood Whisperer. Uh, so Mark uh, caters to people who love woodworking, so you know, hobby cabinet makers. And he's created some amazing videos on how to do, uh, you know, various things within the kind of broad category of cabinet making, and and that's a um, and that's a paid membership website. Uh, another example is DanceStudioOwner.com, where Suzanne and Kathy Blakely have created a a a password protected membership website just for owners of dance studios. Uh, where you know they share templates and resources on how to run a successful dance studio. So again, if you know something more than 99.9% .9 of the world does, um, you can package that content, that insight, those lessons learned up behind a paywall. That's crazy. What do you, John, what is the um, 
what's like the psychology behind selling a subscription? Because in a way, I mean, you have to convince people if, if they're predisposed to thinking, well, I, what if I don't use it? Everybody plays the what if game. What if I don't use it? What if, you know, it just turns out not to be a good thing? What are what are some of the um, techniques that, that you use to, to get people to go, go into this model? Well, I think, you know, I think, first of all, you have to come into, into it and realize that the transaction economy is different than the subscription economy. And the transaction economy, uh, you know, if you want to use a crude dating analogy, it's kind of like a one-night stand. I mean, you go in, you buy what you are buying, and you leave, and, and neither party, neither the supplier or, um, you know, the customer are making a long-term commitment to one another. Whereas in the subscription economy, um, it's closer to a marriage. Um, you know, the, the supplier is going to provide you with the long-term benefits over the long term, uh, and the customer agrees at the same time to provide, to be loyal, right? To say, look, I'm, you know, I'm going to be a Netflix subscriber for, you know, uh, many months into the future. And Netflix can kind of figure that out and knows that, and therefore can create a value proposition for their subscribers and, and other companies that run subscription models. So it's more like a marriage. So that, first of all, I think understanding that. Second thing uh, is going into building a subscription business with a 10x versus 10% mindset. And what I mean by that is that a lot of companies will go at creating a subscription business and say, okay, uh, we want recurring revenue, uh, so we're going to give customers 10% um, off in return for subscribing. And, and I think those models are generally pretty weak. You know, what, what you really want to do is think 10x. The most successful subscription models have developed a, a mindset where the subscriber gets 10 times the amount of value that they would if they were to just simply buy a la carte. Um, you, know, you could argue that, that Netflix at 10 bucks a month is 10 times the value proposition of cable. Uh, New Masters Academy is an all-you-can-eat uh, library of art lessons. So if you want to if you want to learn how to do pottery or watercolor painting, um, you can subscribe to New Masters Academy, and I think they're up to about thirty bucks a month now, and you can have access to an unlimited number of, of tutorials on how to how to learn how to do art. Um, the competitive set is not another subscription website. The competitor, in the case of New Masters Academy, is you know the community college. Uh, workshop that might cost six or eight hundred dollars, and so for thirty bucks a month, um, you could argue that it's a ten x value proposition. So I think that's the secret: is to really is to think about you know when you're when you're starting to think about your value proposition and how to create this subscription offering. Um, I think you have, you need to go well beyond ten percent off and and think ten x. Yeah, that's that's definitely a good mindset. Yeah, I would love to spend a couple minutes. Well, I could talk to you for another hour on this whole uh, automatic customer. I'd love to spend a couple minutes talking about another book you wrote, John, called Built to Sell, which is um, you know creating a business that can thrive without you. And um, a lot of the entrepreneurs that I coach, one of the things I always tell them is, you know, first of all, we do talk about recurring revenue, but we also talk about systems and and uh, procedures that are that are already in place. So when the when you uh, kind of turn the keys over on a Friday, the new owner comes in on Monday and can run the place, you know, and that's that's what's one of the big things that's going to help you get the the, the biggest uh, return for your for your business. So, can you talk a little bit about um, your background and how you've helped people kind of get their businesses ready for sale? Well, well, by all means. So, yeah, I mean, built to sell 
the, the premise is creating a business uh, that would be attractive to an acquirer. Whether you want to sell in a year or 25 years or never, you want to pass it on to your kids, doing that, creating, thinking about your business through the lens of how would, how would this be viewed by an acquirer will give you the ultimate freedom. It gives you the freedom to run your business and just pick the, the jobs you like and, and, and systematize the ones you don't. It allows you to sell your business for a premium if that's what you want to do and go do something else. It allows you to bring in a, chairman or a management team and, and, and kind of retire as the chairman and continue to be a shareholder. So it gives you all the options. And uh, the, the secret, as you well point out, Jim, is, is creating and structuring things so that your business can thrive without you. Um, we've identified through the value builder system that there are these, these eight factors you need to work on to ensure your business is built to sell. And so, you know, when you start with the value builder system, you, uh, you do an assessment and you answer a bunch of questions about your business and it tells you how you are performing on these eight factors that are, are again, designed to make your business less dependent on you personally and, and more of a built to sell company. You know, I know as a small business owner, a lot of what you do with your uh, with your books and things is you, you, you want to minimize your profits, obviously, so you pay a smaller tax bill. Yet, when you go to sell your business, people are going to look at your P&L and you, they, they want to see a, a very profitable business. So, at some point, I've always, I'm trying to figure out, because at some point they're going to be savvy and know, okay, here, here, and here is where some of what's not looking like it's on the bottom line. But at some point, do you have to do a transition and start, you know, um, showing more profits and, and, and not doing some of the things you normally do as a small business owner? I know you don't, I know you don't want to give, like, tax advice, but, um, you know, what, what's the average time frame? Like three years, five years? What, when should you start uh, shifting to, a, to have a different set of books, so to speak? Well, it's interesting. Part of the process of selling your company is that an M&A advisor or a business broker is going to normalize your profit and loss statement. And what that means is to, to recast your profit and loss statement so that it is uh, being, being communicated under normal circumstances. So if you're in the habit of running a country club membership through your profit and loss statement, the, the, the new acquirer that acquires your business is not going to need that, and nor are they going to give their employee, the general manager, actually that, that country club membership. So the normalization process means that you take that out and recast your P&L so that it appears as though the business is operating under normal circumstances without the weird idiosyncrasies you do to kind of minimize taxes. So you know, it's going to put a market rate salary uh, for the owner instead of whatever you pay yourself, either artificially low or high. And so that normalization process is something that the, your advisor or selling your business is going to do for you. So there's no reason necessarily to start getting too fancy with your bookkeeping leading up to the sale. What's much more important than, than how you articulate you know, various expenses is structuring your business so that it, it doesn't rely on you. And that does take many years, typically. Um, many businesses, and one of the kind of secrets, um, Jim, to doing that is, it, is to think in terms of selling a few things to a lot of customers. Unfortunately, most small businesses do exactly the opposite. Most small businesses sell a lot of things to a few customers. And it happens naturally, right? You're, you're the passionate advocate for your company. You love what you do. That enthusiasm is contagious, and customers buy from you, and they say, wow, we've been buying these widgets 
have you ever thought about selling grommets? And you say, sure, I don't mind selling grommets. If you want to buy them, I'll make them. And they, and, they, and they start to sell a broader and broader and broader set of products. And because those customers see the enthusiasm in the, in the eyes of the, of, the, uh, of, the, of the owner, they buy more. And pretty soon, the company, the, the small business, is selling a lot of stuff to a few customers, and, and that means that they're overly reliant on a few customer relationships, so there's a, there's a you know, customer concentration issue. Uh, they're a mile wide and an inch deep in terms of products, meaning the products that they're really good at are only a few of a long list of products, and for many of them, the products are just a parity uh, with the competitors. And so, again, it's a very difficult discipline to, to, to institutionalize, to think about, to codify. Uh, but you need to start thinking if you want to go down this built-to-sell path, instead of, instead of selling lots of stuff to a few customers, again, flip that coin on its ear and sell a few things to lots of customers. Hmm. You know, one of the, there's three things that I always talk about, um, John, having an active that, that would be attractive to a, a potential buyer, having an active uh, customer base or list if you're kind of in the online world, recurring predictable revenue, and having the systems in place. Uh, so first of all, do you agree with that, and is there something else that I, that, I, that I should be thinking about? Well, yeah, no, I think those three are, are very much, we use different names for them, but they're very, very much uh, three of the eight we look at. But there are five other ones. So certainly your financial performance is going to be critical. Um, you know, revenue and profit, uh, you know, nothing, uh, nothing beats, a, beats an attractive uh, you know, company from a financial perspective. Also, the bookkeeping, the quality of the bookkeeping is important. So actually investing in you know, proper bookkeeping, whether that's an audit or, or at least a sort of a, 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 you know, a, a review engagement from an accounting firm will make your business more valuable in the eyes of an acquirer. The growth potential of your business is going to be important. You know, a lot of people, a lot of you know, banking software, uh, you know, suggests that you go for a maximum market share. And in fact, the the absolute opposite is true of trying to create a valuable business. Whereas uh, most people think you need to have lots of market share in the in the segment that you operate in. Again, what what acquirers are looking for is the chance to grow, and so what they like is is situations where only a few people who buy what you sell have started to buy from your company which suggests to them there's lots more of the kind of the field to plow, lots more opportunity to go, to go after. Um, the other one that we talk about is the monopoly control, the idea of having a, a unique marketing point of differentiation that makes you unique in the marketplace, that gives you pricing authority, that forces you, uh, gives you better margins, and, and allows you to sort of create a, a deep and wide moat. You know, Buffett talks about having a deep and wide moat around your business. And so we, we talk about the same thing, this idea that you have to have something that it makes you unique that's defendable, that, you can't, that's, that, that people can't easily replicate or rip off uh, because, again, that gives you pricing authority. Pricing authority gives you margin. Margin gives you more money to spend on marketing, and it creates this virtuous cycle, whereas – if you've got, a, you know, selling a commodity by the, by the pound, by the mile, by the yard, um, it's very difficult to sell a business like that because really all you're doing is competing on price. Uh, so there's, you know, there's eight of these drivers in the value builder system. That's awesome. John, I, I could talk to you all day long, but I'm, I'm just about out of time. Um, what to, can you tell us that website again that um, you mentioned you got the, the worksheet for our listeners? Yeah, by all means, go to www.automaticcustomer dot com slash glue g l u e and you can download the nine subscription models 
Very cool. And is there another website, or is the or is that the uh, one where people can you know learn more about you and and you know all the, all like you have going on the books, videos? I know you do a, a bunch of that stuff. Yeah, no, I think automaticcustomer.com/slash/glue will will get you into our uh, kind of stream, and we'll send you an email about value builder system as well. So you know, if you remember one thing from this call, just automaticcustomer.com/slash/glue, and we'll we'll uh, we'll get you sorted. Very good, man. I do a, I do a ton of interviews, John. I've really enjoyed this one, which not to say I don't enjoy the rest of them, but um, man, you and I are on the same page on a lot of stuff. It's been a real real pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Jim. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special and slightly extended uh, episode of Stick Like Glue Radio with serial entrepreneur and best-selling author John Warillo. Stick Like Glue is the only podcast dedicated to helping you create an everlasting bond with your customers so they stay longer, spend more, and refer more. I am your host, Jim Palmer, your dream business coach, and I'm committed to helping you build a more profitable business faster. Watch for another great episode of Stick Like Glue Radio next week. Until then, keep taking action, keep moving forward, and don't ever, ever, ever give up. Now go out there and do something nice for somebody. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to Stick Like Glue Radio, the only podcast dedicated to helping you create an everlasting bond with your customers so they stay longer, spend more, and refer more. Stick Like Glue Radio features Jim Palmer's unique brand of smart marketing and business building advice for action-oriented entrepreneurs. To make sure you don't miss a single profit-boosting show, subscribe to this podcast at iTunes and www.getjimpalmer.com. To learn more about Jim's Dream Business Coaching and Mastermind program, visit www.dreambizcoaching.com. That's www.dreambizcoaching.com. If you know other entrepreneurs looking for the fastest way to hire profits in their business, please tell them about the Stick Like Glue radio podcast. Now, go and implement what you've learned and boost your profits. See you next week for more Stick Like Glue radio.